open your Bibles this morning to Romans, the book of Romans chapter 9. We're going to get there in just a little bit, and so I'm going to have you turn there in advance, and we're going to set up what we're going to be talking about this morning. We are starting a brand new series, and uh, I can honestly tell you I've been looking forward to this series for months. I'm excited to see how God is going to encourage our hearts and our minds as we unpack some things over the next four weeks. And so um, I'm just so excited for that. And so I pray that you've been praying uh, for how God would use this uh, time in your life. I would pray and encourage you to try to commit to as much as possible being here the next four weeks. Um, I do understand that here in a couple of weeks, uh, our ladies retreat will be going on. And so obviously a lot of our ladies will be going to that event. Uh, but let me just remind you, if, that, if you're going to the retreat, uh, obviously we're praying you have a great time and you're encouraged by the Lord when you're going to be there at Lake Ann. Uh, you can access all the messages in this series. You can either get them after we're all done. You can get all four CDs. Uh, if you want that kind of format, if you want to get it online, you can get it through our website, northgoodland.org. You can get it on our app. Um, uh, North Goodland, BC in your app store. And so there's tons of ways for you to get these resources and to have them available to you. So if you do end up having to miss one for some reason, please make sure you follow in and and follow up and make sure you listen to that later on. The title of the series is uh, on the screen there. I want to believe, but I want to believe, but I, I truly believe that there are many people in our communities that want to believe in God, but have some hurdle or some ceiling that they just cannot seem to get past to believe. Now, I'm not talking about people who say, no, that's foolishness. It's ridiculous to believe in God. I don't want nothing to do with God. I'm not talking about that part of our community. I'm not talking about those that are hardened in their disbelief or their, they don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with him. I'm talking about people that have a desire to believe, have an interest to believe. I have even expressed to you, maybe in conversation, I want to believe in God but I want to believe in God, but there's something, there's, there's a hurdle or there's a ceiling that's, that's keeping them from truly putting their faith and trust in Christ. Maybe some grew up even in the church and they've been hurt in some way by a church. Here, I'll give you a news flash. Ready for this? Just because someone goes to a church doesn't mean they're perfect. Okay. Going to a church doesn't make you perfect. Going to a church, if you're a follower of Christ, means you're worshiping a perfect Savior, okay? Uh, Just because someone in a church or a church itself hurt you in some way, please don't put that on the Savior. Please don't put that on Jesus Christ, because if the church wasn't acting like Jesus, Jesus had nothing to do with it. But we've all been in communities, faith communities, where, where we've been hurt by other believers or we've been hurt by churches or, or we thought someone was spirit-filled and, and we looked up to them in the faith and then they allowed Satan to get a foothold in their life or they allowed sin to come in or they allowed their own personal thinking and feelings and agendas to come in and they started making decisions that were very much against what God would have them to do and it hurts us and those hurts are real. This is not to say we should just forget about those things. Those things are hindrances to people coming to faith in Christ. And if anything, it should encourage us as a church to do what? To push to be the church, to push to be like Jesus Christ. We're not perfect, but man, we need to strive for Christ's likeness in our lives. When we sit down as a leadership here as a church, our board, our trustees, and our deacons, they understand. We do not sit down and say, okay, what do we think the church should be like? What do we think the church should be? We go to God's word and we say, well, this is what Christ said his church should be. How are we going to submit and follow that authority? How are we going to come up under that and make sure that we're doing and being what we need to be as a church so that we fulfill what Christ says the church should be? See, that's the point. We should be striving for those things. Because honestly, I've talked to people. Man, yeah, I I knew a Christian. I used to work with a Christian. I used to have a Christian as a neighbor. And man, I don't know, they did this and they did that and they did this and I don't want anything to do with it. And we gotta be careful. We talked about this a few weeks ago, right? Our testimony matters. So many people walking around like, I don't care what people think of me as a Christian. As long as God knows that I'm good. That sounds real spiritual, but it's not real aligned with Bible. The Bible says, no, 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 Paul says what? I would live in a way that nothing I do would mar the name of Christ. I want to live in a way that honors Christ. Even Jesus said, let your good works, what? Be seen among men that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. Our testimony matters. Our words matter. And I told you even that week when we did that talk, when we fall, we don't stay down and we don't dismiss 
and we don't pretend like it's fine. We own it. We confess it. We repent and we move on in grace. You know the biggest way you can make an impact for Christ in your community? When you fall, don't pretend everything's fine and you're perfect. Just own it. Man, I, I screw up all the time. But aren't you a Christian? Yeah, I'm so thankful for God's grace. Now, we don't condone the screw up. Oh, it's no big deal. That's a huge deal. It costs Jesus Christ his life. But we can acknowledge and say, man, we're not perfect. But you know what? Some of those ways that churches and Christians have behaved in, in, I don't know, the 2,000 plus years of church history, they can cause people some hurts and some roadblocks. It's some, some, some hurdles they have to get through. They want to believe, but. However, I also think that if we're being honest, some of these hurdles and some of these things that we're going to unpack over the next four weeks by God's grace, we'll come to discover that, that the God people are having a hard time believing in is not really the God of the Bible, but some distorted view of God. I truly think there are those that are struggling with believing in God, but the reason they're struggling is because they're not struggling with the God the Bible says God is. They're struggling with believing in some distorted view of God that they wrongly believe is God. Let me give you an example. Over the next four weeks, we're going to tackle some of these things. Next week, we're going to talk about goosebump God. Goosebump God. What's goosebump God? This is where people say, I want to believe in God, but I don't feel anything when I go to church. I don't feel anything when I read the Bible. I don't feel anything when I sing these Christian songs. I go to church and I tried it, but I just don't feel anything. Because they're trying to believe in a goosebump God. I got to get the goosies. You know, I got to get the feelings. It's not necessarily who God is. In the third week, we're going to be talking about heartless God. Heartless God. I want to believe, but how can I believe in a God that allows bad things to happen or people to suffer? How can I believe in a God who would, who would let someone suffer, who would, who would allow children to go, to go hungry and allow people to do atrocities against other people? How can I believe in a God who doesn't care, who doesn't love, who's heartless? Well, that's not the God of the Bible. God is not a heartless God, but people struggle because we try to believe in a God that is a distorted view of God. And then week four, we're going to talk about killjoy God. Killjoy God. I want to believe, but it's too many rules. I want to have fun, and believing in God and being a Christian is no fun. It's just rules, 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 rules. It's just that's all it is. I'll give you a little bit of a sneak peek. Whatever you think you have to give up to be a follower of Christ, what you gain is so much better. Those things that you think bring you fun and pleasure, they're really just bringing bondage and chain. If it's outside of Christ, it's not bringing you true joy. But man, when we know Christ, we find true joy, true peace. God is not a kill joy God. Do you know that God actually wants you to enjoy life? That God wants you to have as much fun as possible in life? Now you might think, whoa, 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 whoa. If we put the fun in the context of what Christ considers fun and enjoyment, and enjoying him and enjoying his creation, enjoying family and enjoying friends and honoring him in these things. He wants you to enjoy your life. He wants you to have pleasure in life. Do you realize, do you ever think about this? I think about this sometimes because I think about just random stuff. But do you ever think about, like when he made creation, he didn't have to make it like he made it. Did he have to give us all the colors and the beauty? Did he have to give us the majesty that we see in creation? I mean, why did he create the Garden of Eden the way he did and then put man in it? He wanted them to enjoy it. There's a reason it's considered a paradise. And so for me, I want you to know, God is not a killjoy God. He wants you to enjoy this life, but he wants you to enjoy it in a way that brings real joy and not bondage and pain and suffering and destruction, which so many of us have allowed into our lives in the context of entertainment or joy. So this morning, I, I want to kind of introduce our topics. I know what you're thinking. You're on the edge of your seat. If we're not talking about goosebump God this week or killjoy God or heartless God, what's the distorted view of God we're talking about this morning? Well, to introduce that, I want to take us back in time a little bit. 
Okay, I want to go back in time just a little bit. Now, some of you are my age or a little older. I'm 37. I'll be 38 this December. I know it's hard to believe I look 24, but I'm actually going to be 40 in a couple of years, okay? Whenever my wife and I tell people how old we are, they're like, what? I'm like, I know. She looks like she's 22. I look 24. It's amazing. It's just Jesus and grace is all I'm going to tell you. So, but when I was a kid, and maybe some of you can relate that are my age or maybe a little older, uh, you remember primetime TV shows? How many of you guys remember? Like, I'm not talking about like the shows nowadays. I'm talking about when primetime TV was like good. And like you'd gather around the TV to watch these certain shows. But do you remember when they, certain days of the week they had certain shows that ran back to back? And you would love it, man. You would like box out your 8 to 9 o'clock to watch these two shows or maybe even 8 to 10 or whatever. And you're watching these two shows. My parents, every night between 7 and 8, watched Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy, okay? So we knew 7 to 8, we couldn't watch anything unless we wanted to watch Wheel of Fortune or Jeopardy, okay? And I didn't really was interested in, in all that stuff, okay? But, but at 8 o'clock, there was these shows that would come on. And we would work so hard during the day to get our homework done and to get everything done so that we could sit down at 8 o'clock and watch these couple of shows. And so I'm going to give you a couple examples and see if you can kind of remember these with me. How many of you guys remember watching Who's the Boss and The Wonder Years back to back or watching those on primetime TV? Who's the Boss was an awesome show. But The Wonder Years, anybody like The Wonder Years? Okay, I'm not going to lie. I was actually, I got in trouble one time. I know that's hard to believe as it is, but I got in trouble one time. I was probably like nine or 10, okay? And my punishment was I couldn't watch The Wonder Years that week. That was my punishment. I wasn't grounded from TV, but I could not watch The Wonder Years. How crazy is that? But I love that show. How about Full House and Family Matters? Anybody remember Full House and Family Matters, right? We just recently exposed the boys to Family Matters, and they were dying. They were laughing so hard. They're like, this is hilarious, okay? How about, and this one is a little bit more my generation, because I think it was like early 90s when this was real popular when I was a kid. Uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Blossom. Okay, anybody remember Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Blossom? Whoa, okay, anybody? Yeah, right? You guys remember that? Joey Lawrence, okay? And then the friend that just wouldn't stop talking. Remember the girl? I, I remember his six. Was that her name? Is that what they called her? I think that's right. Anyway, a couple of you are like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys got like Blossom t-shirts at home still. Okay, it's cool. Um, but we remember these shows. Do you know what all these shows had in common? It's similar to maybe, okay, so let's say you're a little older generation, okay? You're, you're a generation maybe a little bit older than me. Now, I watched these shows, but I think some of them I watched more in rerun, but I also remember in the 80s, these were more popular shows. How many of you guys remember Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley? Okay, see, I'm looking at the crowd. Okay, that's about right. Notice, I like that the younger people seem to be sitting in the front. I don't know what that means, but as we go towards the back, we get older. I don't know what's going on there. Okay, so let that be what it is, okay? Um, but if you think about these shows, what was the one thing in common? If you wanted to watch these shows, you had to be in front of the TV when they were on, right? Like if I want to watch Wonder Years or if I want to watch Blossom, okay, or Fresh Prince, I have to stop what I'm doing at 8 o'clock, go sit in front of the TV and watch it, okay? Now, some of us had VCRs. When I was a kid, we didn't get a VCR until I was probably like third, fourth grade, okay, something like that. But if you had a VCR, you could actually record the shows. But how many of you struggled trying to use the VCR to record something? Be honest. Anybody? You're liars. All of you. Look at you. Okay. Some of you, you didn't struggle because you never tried it. You were like, nope, nope. Okay. I used to, I never could figure out how to record stuff on the VCR. So if you wanted to watch something, you had to be in front of the TV. Is that how it is today? Some of you binge watched an entire season this last week of something. Some of you sit down, you don't even watch commercials when you watch TV. You just go season one, episode one, episode two, episode three. In literally a couple of days, you can watch an entire season of something. If you don't sleep, you can watch it even faster, okay? I, and I remember when I was in college, this was kind of becoming the thing. You can go buy the season on DVD. That was becoming a thing when I was in college. And we would go buy these series, and we would just sit and binge watch them all over and over again. Don't ask how my grades went. They weren't great. But we just did this over and over again. See, nowadays we have something that's called what? On demand. On demand. You know, if you want to watch something, I talked about watching The Family Matters and showing the boys that. I didn't have to go find that on DVD. I just jumped on Hulu. Boom, boom, boom. There we go. There it is. Watch one after the other. 
Home Improvement. You guys remember Home Improvement? Like that show? Okay. We're kind of doing that right now. We're watching a lot of those episodes. The boys think that's hilarious. Okay. So as we're going through that, guess what? It's just one after the other. Oh, you want to watch the next one? Boom. Boom. On demand. I don't even want to watch commercials. Boom. I don't have to watch commercials. We're just going to go. And what I've noticed is that we all, to some degree, in the church and outside the church, we have all allowed this way of thinking to creep into our understanding of who God is. And what we really have struggled with is not believing in the God of the Bible, but believing in a God that's not an on-demand God. You see, that's really what we want. We want an on-demand God because we have an on-demand culture right now. I mean, when I buy something on Amazon, it better be here because it's prime in two days. Do you know now they have places, if you live close enough to one, you can get it in one day? One day? Like, that's crazy to me. I remember when I was a kid, you try to order something through a magazine, you may get it in two months. Maybe. It might be broken. You don't even know, okay? You got to send it back. There's another six weeks, okay? But nowadays, everything's on demand, I want my TV on demand. I want my, I want my coffee. I mean, I want it now. I don't want to wait. I want to order this. I want it now. I want everything now. And we've allowed this mentality to influence how we actually view God. To where when God doesn't do what I want God to do exactly when I want God to do it, somehow I struggle and say, well, you just don't really care. You just don't really love me. If you loved me, you would do what I wanted when I want it. People get frustrated and mad at God and come to the conclusion that either God doesn't care if he doesn't do it on demand, either God doesn't care, God can't do it, right? He's, in, he's incapable of doing it on demand, or God really isn't that good. If God doesn't do what I want when I want it, he either doesn't care, he's not really good, or he can't do it. And let me encourage you today, if you're here struggling with that, please don't beat yourself up. Because you're not abnormal in that. We've all battled with this. What did Lazarus' sister say when Jesus showed up late to the tomb? Had you been here when we wanted you, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, had you been here when we wanted you here, he wouldn't be dead right now. You screwed up, God. You weren't here when I wanted you here. You don't love me. You don't. And it's just all these, she was angry. Now, she doesn't say all that. I'm just kind of saying that's how we would sound. And can I tell you how amazing our Savior is? He doesn't rebuke her. He doesn't condemn her. He just tries to encourage her, and he weeps with her. But let me tell you this. He speaks truth to her. And he asks her, do you really believe? See, he's counteracting her doubt in God with, do you believe? And we have to be careful that we don't allow our cultural on-demand thinking to distort the view of who God really is. Because I think we've got to be really careful here. So where is my on-demand God? Where is my on-demand God? We need to know that on-demand God doesn't exist. If you're taking notes, you need to jot that down. On-demand God does not exist. It's a distorted view. People struggle when God isn't on-demand, but that God doesn't exist. So we must help others and ourselves see how we fit in the grand story of eternity. We must help others and ourselves to see how we fit in the grand story of eternity. Do you know who the main character is in the Bible? It's not you. It's not me. It's God. Do you know whose will is most important in the Bible? It's not my will. It's not your will. It wasn't even Israel's will. It was God's will. You see, God is the main character of the word of God. And can I give you a little bit of an insight here? Do you know who the main character is throughout all of eternity? It's not you, and it's not me. It's God. So if he's the main character, he's the main one in all of eternity, then why do we think that somehow now we can take him, that God of creation, sovereign God, holy and just and majestic and true, and cripple him? And handicap him by subjecting him to our sinful ways of thinking and saying, you better do this or else I don't really believe in you. And we got to be so on guard against this. Here's the truth. If on-demand God doesn't exist, then who is God? And how do we relate to him? The truth is this. God doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve him. God doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve him. 
God's highest calling is that he is God and will do what he wills. He is God and he will do what he wills. When you read scripture, we are not, again, the main character. God is the main character. Now, this is hard for some of us. I'm I'm not trying to like glaze over this and say you just, I get this is difficult for us, especially as American Christians. We struggle with any idea that we aren't in charge, that we don't get to say. And by the way, just not to pick on us because I can do this because I know how men are, men really struggle with this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. I'm a man. I don't know what this was. I went like, uh, who is that guy? Ah, Jefferson's. What was his name? George Jefferson. You know, he's all like, man, you know, all that stuff. I'm in a TV flashback mode. You're just going to have to deal. And for those listening on the internet or online there, uh, I'm not, I can't do any justice to it verbally. You just had to see it. So, but let's be honest. I've met so many men that will get this arrogance. I'm a man. I, I built this. I, I no, you didn't. You know the strongest men I know fall on their knees before Christ every day. You want to be a man? You want to be the man in your family? Then be the man and submit to Christ and lead your family as Christ would lead your family. You want to be the man? Stop talking about being the man and just live with integrity and character in Christ and watch him move and lead and guide direct in your family. Stop talking about being the man and trying to be the man in the world's eyes. And realize that Christ is the one that we submit to. Be the man by being his man. And watch God do great things. That wasn't even in the notes. That's just free. God is the creator. We are the created. Man, do we get that messed up? We start talking to him like we created him. Like we tell him what to do. God is the creator and we are the created. We must realize that he is the Lord of lords and we are his servants. Now, let me put this in perspective because some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute, didn't Christ say that when he came to earth, he came to serve us, not to be served? Christ's mission on planet earth during the gospels was to establish salvation for mankind. And he served us in the greatest way, providing a way of salvation. But you better put it in perspective that the reason he came was not just for you, although we're definitely part of the equation, Paul tells us later that he did all of that for the pleasure of his own will, for his own good pleasure, and so that his grace is on display. So even in serving us, he saves us, and then he allows us to serve him and make disciples for him in this world. So yeah, we are his sons. We are his daughters. We are in Christ Jesus. But do not mistake that relationship that somehow where you usurp his authority and start dictating to him what he tells or what he does. You are under his authority, yes, as his son, but also, as Paul says, who was saved fully by grace, says, no, I am a bond servant of Jesus Christ. I willfully submit as a servant of Jesus Christ. Jesus' own half-brother says, first, I'm a servant of Christ before he ever identifies himself as a brother of Christ. Because he understood, yes, I am a son of God, I am saved, I'm redeemed, but in reaction to that salvation, I have to submit and serve. I have to humble and submit myself to Christ. Let's go to Romans chapter 9. We're just going to read a couple verses. Romans chapter 9, we need to understand that God doesn't exist to serve us, we exist to serve him. And even in his greatest service to us, made a way for us to honor and and worship him. Romans chapter 9 and verse 20. Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest to God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Has not the potter power over the clay of the same lump? to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. Focus in on the beginning of verse 21. Has not the potter power over the clay? Can I give you a little news flash here, a little behind the scenes? Guess who's the clay? Want to take a guess? This is you and me. Who's the potter? It's him. And when I get this attitude or this arrogance, when I go before him and I start telling him, why didn't, why didn't, why didn't, why didn't, I'm so thankful that God in his grace comes alongside by the work of the Holy Spirit through the word of God. And only as he can, he doesn't condemn us. 
but he lovingly reminds us of our position. And I love, that's why I love the story of Job. And Job had a lot to say before God showed up and started talking, right? Job had a lot to say. Then God showed up and Job literally says, I'm just going to shut my mouth now. Because he realized, man, in the vastness of who God is and all that God is, I don't need the answer. That's the craziest part of Job. He never gets an answer. God never reveals to him, okay, Job, now that you've come to this point, let me unveil this entire thing from the beginning and show you step by step why you went through this. Never. But do you realize that Job doesn't need that at the end? Doesn't even matter to Job anymore. Because he came to a realization in who God is. And that was enough for him. And so my encouragement to you today, as we're going to unpack just quickly, if you're struggling with not serving an on-demand God, as we all do at times, by the way, I've been there, where you didn't answer my prayer when I wanted you to answer it the way I wanted you to answer it. Let's be real for a minute. God, what I prayed, how could that not have been your will? How could that not have been your will to do this or that? And I prayed it, and I believed God, how, why, where were you? I mean, we've all been there. Stop beating yourself up for being a human being and just realize, God, okay, in those moments, I, I, I still don't understand, but I'm going to trust you anyway. See, there's some denominations, some people that will teach you that if, if God doesn't answer your prayer, that you didn't have enough faith, that it's your fault that that didn't happen. You just got to have more faith. Now, the Bible says there are some reasons God won't answer our prayers, right? James tells us that if you ask just to consume it upon your own lusts, he's not going to do that. You're just asking, you know, I want a million dollars, God. I promise I'll tithe 10%, but I want a million dollars. He knows your heart. You ain't going to tell nothing. You're just going to get a million dollars, go buy a Lamborghini, whatever, and just live it up. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. If it's just for your own lust, I'm not going to do that. Peter says that if we don't treat our wives with grace, our prayers can be hindered. Obviously, if we're living in sin, disconnected from God's intimate fellowship, and we're not in that right communion with him, we may be praying things not in the right frame of mind, so he may not answer those things. But someone may say, no, if all of that's good, if you're right where you need to be, and you pray this, and you believe it, and you have faith in it, and it doesn't happen, then it's your fault, because you didn't have enough faith. I mean, that's a, that's a daring thing to say. I've shared the story before, but a uh, uh, dean of students at BBC taught one of our classes and he was sharing a story about he was on a hospital visit with his family that he knew some of the family and there were some other people that were there. Well, a chaplain came in of this belief that if you just believe hard enough and speak it and this word of faith stuff and, you know, you, it'll, it'll happen. Well, this child was sick and the child ends up dying. And so Brother Adams is there in the waiting room comforting the family. I mean, there's nothing you can really say. You're just praying with them and loving on them. And this chaplain comes in and sits down next to one of the parents and says, I just want you to know it's your lack of faith that caused this. Brother Adams is a big dude. Probably six, four, six, five, probably pushing three bills, okay? He said, it took everything within me, and by the grace of God, I didn't kill that man right in that moment. But he said, I, I stood up, I walked over, and I kind of grabbed him by the scruff of his shirt, and I said, I think it's time for you to leave. See, this is what this kind of teaching, this, by the way, false teaching can do. Man, listen, we should pray and we should believe. But can I give you this little bit of a side note here? What did Jesus pray in the garden? Not my will, but... By the way, when Jesus said, let this cup pass from me, what was God's answer to that, to that question? No. So Jesus didn't have enough faith then, right? Silliness. Paul prayed three times for the thorn in the flesh to be removed. God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. So Paul didn't have enough faith then, right? That was the problem. Paul's faith was lacking. That's why God said no. I'm telling you, we've got to be so careful here, guys. We need to pray and believe, but at the end of the day, I am not God. He is the only one called sovereign. I trust because I don't understand so if God's not an on-demand God, then what kind of God is he? I'm going to give you three things quickly. Three things quickly. What kind of God is he if he's not an on-demand God? Well, first of all, God's heart is always loving. If he's not an on-demand God, what kind of God is he? God's heart is always loving. If you're a parent here today this morning, I can guess a couple things about you and your kids. 
Okay, so I want all the parents, even if you've got kids that are older, I think this is true of most of us, okay? I believe it's true of all of us. If you're a parent today, you always love your children. You may not always like what they do, and you may sometimes come ever so close to shaking them, but don't shake your children, okay? I'm not encouraging that. But you love them. I mean, haven't you ever said this to your children or had maybe your parents say this to you? I want you to know, I really don't like what you're doing or what you did, but I love you. I love you. I don't like what you did. I don't like what you're doing. And there's going to be consequences for what you did. But I want you to know, I love you. So you always love your children. And then secondly, you don't always do what they want, even though you have the power to do it. You don't always do what they want you to do, even though you have the power to do it. The reason may be, and this is just my own thinking through this and some others that I've heard, the reason may be that you are not doing what they want because you know it's not what they need. Children are are funny creatures. They use the word need way more than I think they realize. No, 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 I need that, Dad. I need that. No, 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 you need a job if you want that. That's what you need. No, Dad, I need these $200 basketball shoes for my sixth grade basketball team. No, no, you need to get paid to play basketball before you buy shoes like that. Okay, that's what that's, you need a job or you need a scholarship. That's what you need, okay? We don't always do what they want because we know, because we look at the what? The bigger picture. And we can see This is not really what you need, even though in this moment, it's all you can think about and you think it's what you need. Or you don't do what they want because you are trying to develop something in them so that they may grow. You don't always do what they want so that you may develop something in them that they may grow. I'll give you a silly example, but it was kind of cool. It just happened right in front of me Wednesday night. I went to the, uh, we're cleaning everything up, getting things ready. The kids were heading down for their Bible lesson. And one of the parents was there with their daughter, and, uh, who's smaller, and, uh, and she was tying her shoe and taking a long time doing it. This is where, as a parent, I struggle. Okay? We got to go. Like, everybody's waiting on you. I just would have been like, come here. Go, get. Okay? But this parent looked at me. And I said, I asked him, I said, is she going to class? Because they had already left the room. They're already marching down the hallway. And he said this, he said, yes, and I know she's a little behind, but once she learned how to tie her shoes, I always make her tie her own shoes, no matter where we are or what's going on. And I stood back and I thought, that's awesome. Now you think, it's just tying shoes. But you know what he's trying to develop in her? I got to do this myself. I got to learn how to handle this. Mom and dad aren't always going to be there to tie my shoes. I, I, can, I can do this, so I should do this. But sometimes kids don't always want to do that. You know what? When I see a kid do this, and they're meaning tie my shoe, untie my shoe, I just go like this and do it back to him. What? I can be just as stubborn as a four-year-old. I'm okay with that tie my shoe. No. I just, I find it funny to me. It entertains me on the inside, okay? But I love that. Now, it's a silly example, right? It's a silly example, but why was he adamant in this? And she didn't complain. He just stood there and waited. And he wasn't rushing her. Come on, let's go, let's go. He just patiently waited. She tied her shoes, and away she went. And you know why I think she didn't give a fit or a problem or an attitude? Because he's established this. This is normal. Now, I'm sure she probably fought it at the beginning, but hey, this is just what it is. Your shoe needs to be tied. You can tie your shoe. I believe in you. You can do this. Sometimes as a parent, we don't always do what they want us to do because we're trying to develop something in them so they may grow. When God doesn't do what we want, we have to understand this. Hear me now. It is not because he doesn't love us. It is not because he can't do something about it. But for whatever reason that we may not understand, and we probably won't understand until we see him face to face, he has decided that is not what he is going to do. Maybe he's trying to allow it to build something in us so that we can grow and mature in some way. Romans chapter 8, you're already in Romans 9, go over just one chapter. Some of you, maybe it's just one page. Romans chapter 8 and verse 
35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Now, let's put this in nowadays language because I don't think you're going to have a situation where you're naked and having a sword to your throat. If you find yourself there, we should talk, okay? I want to hear that story. But this is basically saying what? When, when everything's going wrong, when nothing's going right, when the financial situations are becoming overwhelming, when you go into your kitchen and there's just really not enough food, when everywhere you look there's trouble and chaos, relationship trouble, trouble at the job site, whatever it is, there's all this going on. Go down to verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from what? The love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to note something here. We always read that passage, and what do we go right to? Look at the love of God, the love of God. And it's great. We need to focus on the love of God. But can you notice something here? That somehow the love of Christ, and this is to believers, by the way. Romans 8 is written to believers. This love is the love that a believer has in Christ Jesus as Savior. I want you to notice the love of Christ for the believer coexists with persecutions and struggles in the believer's life. Do you notice that? He doesn't remove all those things so that the love of Christ is present. He says, no, 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 no. The love of Christ is there in these seasons and in these storms and in these struggles. We will overcome because of the love of Christ through the cross. Do not allow God not doing what I want or seeing things in our life make us believe that God doesn't love us. No, God's heart is always loving He loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. Peter tells us that God wishes that none would perish but all would come to repentance. Now God is just. If someone willfully chooses their sin and rebels and rejects the gospel, that is on them. God will not force them, his uh, his love on them. But his heart is, no, I'm drawing you. I'm wooing you. Do you know why he's given you all these years if you don't know Christ? Years to repent. Time to know his truth, so that you can receive Christ and find eternal life. See, God's heart is always loving. Quickly, not only is God's heart always loving, God's ways are always higher. God's ways are always higher. In ministry as a pastor, I am asked multiple times the why question. I've done quite a few funerals in my life as a pastor, and seemingly I'm asked why quite often. Why now? Why this? Why like this? Why? And that question comes up a lot. People ask questions of why. Why did this happen? Why did that not happen? And to be honest, while I try to give words of comfort and encouragement from the Word of God, there are many times where I will look at family members and look at people that are struggling with that, and I'll just be as honest as I can because the worst thing you can do is lie to them, and I'll look right at them and say, you know what? I don't know. But no, but why did this happen like this? I don't know. But you're a pastor. You're supposed to know these things. Hey, listen, there's a lot of things I don't know when it comes to God and how he works and moves and does. And it used to bother me that I didn't know. It used to bother me that I couldn't figure it out. And then I would try to force answers, you know, like try to try to force that scripture in there. And there are encouraging scriptures that we can give people. There's times that we speak those things into people's lives. But there are other times where we have to be honest and just go, man, I'm just being real. I don't know. I don't, I don't get why God is doing this or that. I have no clue. I can say, well, I think it's because of this or that. I think it might be this or I think God's doing that. But there are times where it's just, but I really honestly, if I'm being real, I don't really know because why? God's ways are higher than my ways. God is smarter than me. I want to look at Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8. Again, very familiar passage, but Isaiah 55 and verse 8. So go ahead and turn there with me or go there on your device. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8. And I know this is a familiar verse, but don't let it just be a familiar verse. Let it be... Let it be something that speaks into your heart and mind today and allows you to see change in your thinking. 
Isaiah 55 and verse 8 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Man, like you ever struggle with that? You ever struggle like, God, I don't get it. God's going, yeah, you're not gonna. You're not, you're not supposed to. I guess I wonder this. Why do we even think we're supposed to figure it all out? Like, where did that become the thing? Like, okay, I've got to figure out everything about God. I've got to figure out all of his ways. If you could, in your finite mind, figure out everything about an infinite God, wouldn't that reverse roles? If a finite mind, my human mind, if I could come to a point of understanding all there is to know about God and all that God does, then I've just put myself over that God because I know more than him. I can figure him out. But man, if he's the creator and I'm the created, then I should be completely comfortable submitting to him and realizing I don't understand everything. I trust that when I don't understand that God is wiser than I am and is working a sovereign plan, I don't have to understand to trust God's character, goodness, power, love, majesty, and wisdom. I don't have to understand to trust. God is working in and through things I can't begin to understand because God is outside of time. He is seeing my life from eternity past with eternity future in mind. He's seeing my life from eternity past with eternity future in mind. I don't know what I'm hearing. Is someone's phone talking to them? Someone hearing something? Okay, maybe I just, I do hear something. Okay. Um, moving on. Okay, so God's ways are higher than my ways. God's ways are higher than my ways. Now, you might feel like God let you down when he didn't answer your prayer or do what you want. You might feel like God disappointed you or failed you in some way. But as life goes on, you may realize that the thing actually led you to an area that was so much better than you thought you should have gone. Let me say that again. We pray, we ask, we beg, we think, and God says no. And we struggle with that. But then as time goes on, we start to realize, oh, now I see. Now I see why God wasn't doing this or that. Now I see why God allowed this in my life. But here's the other part of this. Because I say that, and some of you are struggling because it's been 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, and you still don't get it. You still don't see it. You're not understanding it. Then let me encourage you with this. You may never understand. And when we don't understand, we trust. Because his ways are higher than our ways. Lastly, not only is God's heart always loving, God's ways above our ways, God's presence is always enough. God's presence is always enough. If we will pursue God and his presence, because we have received Christ, we will know him, but want to go deeper than part-time Christianity. If we know him as Savior, then it will drive us and push us, if we allow it to, to allow us to go deeper than part-time Christianity. We are hungry for Christ. And we want Christ to develop this idea in us that we want to know more about him and uh, him, us. And I can promise you this, that over time, if you will begin to dive into his word and spend time with him consistently and allow him to continue to encourage you through his word and through prayer and through the community of faith in the church, you will find yourself growing more and more accustomed to just desiring his presence more than what he does for you. You'll find yourself just being okay in his presence more than what he just does for you. Because God is not an on-demand God, but he is a God who offers his presence to us. That when we go through things in this life, he will not leave us out in the middle of the wilderness, but he will draw us in close. I love the passages that Renee read this morning. So much truth there that he will defend us. Listen, sometimes we don't understand why we're even being attacked. We don't even get where it's coming from. We don't understand the situation. And he says, I will defend you. I will watch over you. I will protect you. I may allow these things into your life just so you are pushed back to me. Isn't that a crazy thought? 
I will allow this just so you draw closer to me. Man, I don't like that. I tell God, God, couldn't you make me more like Christ without the suffering, the persecution, the trials, and the struggles? Because that'd be great. If you could make me like Jesus, but everything would just be perfect all the time, I would love that, God. And I've said it before, I think God looks at that prayer in an interesting way. I can either make your life as comfortable as possible, or I can make you like Jesus, but I can't do both at the same time. What does Paul say? Man, I rejoice. I look, I, 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 I'm okay with suffering for Christ. Peter says it over and over again. I'm okay with suffering for Christ because I know what God is doing in me to draw me closer to him, and it's worth it. To be in his presence is worth it. I want you to understand that when difficult times come, you can grow to a place where you don't have to worry about what happens to you because God is with you. You can come to a place where you don't have to worry about what will happen to you because you know that God is with you. To really grasp this clearly, I want you to listen to the words of a man that cried out to God often when things didn't make sense. Said things like, why are my enemies winning? Where did you go? Why aren't you here with me? You should, and on, and on, and on. This man went through things that we could never understand, and he says this, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Not because you do everything for me, not because you change the situation. What does he say? Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear, fear no evil, for you are with me. Psalm 23 and verse 4. David went through some of the toughest valleys a person can go through, and yet, what was his strength? What was his solace? What was his comfort? It was the presence of God. He said, God, you are with me, so it doesn't matter what I, I walk through. By the way, what did David pray? Lead me. And as God was leading him, God may have led him through some dark valleys. And David said, that's fine, because I know no matter what I go through, you are with me. So I want us to know this morning, the on-demand God doesn't exist. However, the God that is always loving higher than us in his ways, and who offers his presence and peace to any who would ask in Christ, their lives are 100% in that God. He is there for them. He is with you. He's not an on-demand God, but he's a God who is always loving, whose ways are higher than our ways, and who offers us his presence in Christ. The truth is, the God of the Bible is far too powerful, far too sovereign, to be lowered down to a puppet God that any one of us can control at any time. I would rather him be the God of the Bible and submit my life to that God. And I struggle from time to time with what he does, but I can trust in the words of his own, the word he gives to us, that when I don't understand, I can trust because he is with me. We said it last week, he's not with you only when you're doing what you should be doing. He is with you always, even unto the end of the world. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads right there where you are. And as you are there, and as you're going to spend just a little bit of time in prayer, the praise band is going to come and lead us in a song of invitation. I encourage you to do just whatever you need to do right now. Put your Bibles aside. Put any distractions aside. And just spend this next few moments just with him. I mean, just to really think on the things we've talked about this morning, to really dwell on these things to not worry about lunch or appointments later today or things later this week. But right now, I want you to just spend some time dwelling on him, dwelling on his truth. And I want you to ask yourself the question, have you made God an on-demand God? And then when he didn't come through, it'll, you got mad and angry and frustrated with him. If, you do, if you've done that, you are in great company. You are not alone. Don't feel embarrassed by that truth. Realize that, it, that coming to understand that that's what we're doing to God will help us to be free from that way of thinking. I truly believe everyone in this room at some point or another has done that to God. We've, we've made God an on-demand God. And then when he didn't come through the way we thought he should, we actually got angry with him. And so my encouragement to you this morning is if you've done that or maybe are currently doing that, that you would just confess to God and say, God, I'm sorry for lowering you down from who you really are. I'm sorry for trying to, to mold you and shape you and put you in a box that I can understand and I can control. 
I'm sorry for getting angry with you when I tried to make you a puppet, God, and you didn't fall in line. Lord, I don't understand. Lord, I don't get why this or that is happening in my life right now. I don't understand why so-and-so is battling in this health issue. Lord, I don't get it. I don't understand, and it does. It angers me. But I pray, Father, that you would help me to bring all of that emotion to you and lay it at your feet. And that when I don't understand, that I would trust, that I would believe in the God that you say you are, which is so much better than the God that I've tried to make you. That I would stop distorting who you are and lift you up for who you really are. And so thank you, God, for not being an on-demand God. With your heads bowed as you continue to pray there where you are, maybe you want to come forward this morning. Maybe you want to bend a knee. Maybe you find yourself in some situation where God has not, quote-unquote, come through the way you wanted, and, it, and it's caused you frustration and anger, but you're at a point now where you realize, I need to trust even when I don't understand. I need to trust even when it doesn't make sense because I know he's loving. I know his ways are higher than my ways. And I know that his presence is with me in Christ. God doesn't have to prove his goodness to us by what he does for us today. God proved his goodness to us and his love to us because Christ died on the cross for our sins. He has nothing left to prove. And so I pray that we would just honor him this morning and trust in him no matter what we may find in our lives. Father, bless now this time. May you be lifted up as you encourage us to trust in you. Lord, I know it's hard. It's difficult. But I know that we can trust by your grace and by your strength. And Lord, may we actually thank you for even though you didn't have to serve us in the way you did, you chose to humble yourself and to take on the form of a servant that we might know you as Savior. May we respond today as your children, your sons and daughters, with complete submission, complete surrender, and trust you. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we give you an opportunity to respond? Maybe you want to come and pray. If you're in that place and you want to pray with someone, there are those in the front row. We'd love to pray with you. And so maybe you would take us up on that and come and just seek someone in the front row and we can pray with you about whatever you're going through. Maybe you want to take someone, a a friend or a family member and pray with them up front here. Maybe you're tired of trying to make God an on-demand God and you're ready just to trust and believe that he is who he says he is. Whatever God is doing, would you respond as we are led by the, the, the band this morning?